the reading today comes from the Gospel according to St John, beginning of verse uh, 28 of chapter 18, 1828 through to 19, verse 16. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Oh, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the, Jewish, to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
the Jewish leaders insisted. We have a law and according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate asked. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Denise. Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you here. Uh, and it, uh, it feels like after a, wet, a very wet week uh, where some of you were quite sodden underfoot. Um, I know our shed, our back shed, you know, the water kind of rose there, but that's not uncommon. Uh, but lovely, lovely to have a beautiful sunny day to be able to regather and to sing. Uh, how good is that, to sing without masks? Um, I've been talking to some of the leaders of our church and we've decided the theme at the moment in our church life is getting the family together, bringing the family back together. Uh, It's a good theme, isn't it? Uh, Because lots of us, uh, there's lots of people who are part of our church family who we haven't seen for quite some time. Uh, And so now as we kind of have some light at the end of the COVID tunnel, uh, hopefully we can uh, start regathering those brothers and sisters uh, together. Uh, and so look out for those uh, who you haven't seen for a while and encourage them. Let them know, you know, we're singing again and it's lovely to be able to gather. It's, uh, we, we've, we did well during COVID, but there's no substitute for getting together, is there? Uh, and the other thing about gathering, getting the family together is that there are a lot of homeless Christians in our region. Now, I don't, mean, I don't mean homeless in the normal sense, but there is a lot of Christians in our area who don't have a church home. Uh, and I, I want to encourage you to look out for them uh, as well uh, and grab that Easter invite and uh, invite them along. Uh, and then there's a third group, and that is... They're people who are destined to be part of the family, but don't yet know it. Right? There are Christians, not people who aren't Christians in our community, who need to hear the good news of Jesus, and then they too can join us uh, as part of God's family. 
So uh, let's all commit to bringing the family back together. Uh, let me um, show you a bit of a survey that was done um, a couple of years ago about Aussie beliefs. They asked um, Aussies what they believe about Jesus. And this surprised me. One in 29 Australians had never even heard of Jesus. That is hard to believe, isn't it? But anyway, that's what the survey came up with. Uh, then 28% knew very little or nothing. 24% knew a moderate, moderate amount. And 45% Australians say, yeah, I know a significant amount about Jesus. Then they asked the question, well, how, how important personally is Jesus to you? Um, and 37% of Australians, next, next, next slide please, 37% said he's not important at all. Um, 32% said slightly or somewhat important. And 31% said Jesus is extremely or very important. Um, now, I don't know, what, do you, what are your reflections? Why don't you just take a moment just reflecting with the person next to you? What are your reflections on looking at those stats? Anything surprise you, stick out to you? Just have a quick moment of uh, having a chat with the person next to you about that. I'll, I'll give you a couple of my reflections. Um, one reflection I had is that 70% 70, 70 of Australians know a, a reasonable amount about Jesus. Um, but I just reckon if you know a reasonable amount about Jesus, surely it should drive you to see him as extremely or very important. Uh, so I, it's just discouraging that people know a lot about Jesus, but it hasn't actually awakened in them a personal commitment to Jesus. And the other thing that I find, I, I find that middle stat down the bottom discouraging. And that how can, how can Jesus be slightly important? Uh, either you've dismissed him or you actually say he is my king. He's extremely important. Um, and the 31%... Is that 31% a true reflection? Because I wouldn't say 31% of Australians are in church uh, on a given... More of them are in Westfield uh, right now than there are here. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, so I reckon if you know Jesus, it ought to drive you to see him as extremely important. Now, interesting, what we're going to see this morning is Pontius Pilate... So just leave that slide on for a sec. Pontius Pilate, I think he starts off not knowing much about Jesus at all. He'd probably heard some rumours. Um, he has a six-hour window of time with Jesus. And during that time, he shifts from not knowing much at all, not being interested much at all, to, to, to knowing a reasonable amount. Uh, and... He has to make a verdict within that six-hour window. What will I do with Jesus? Uh, what is my, will I execute this man or is this man innocent? Uh, will I set him free? And as we hear Pilate 
forced to make his verdict, it's going to challenge us, each one of us, and this is a challenge we want to put out to our community, and that is, what is your verdict about Jesus? What do you think about him? How will you respond to him? Because I am utterly convinced that that is the most important question any of us will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus? Uh, and how, how do you respond personally to him? Now, by the time Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate, we've entered the final hours of Jesus' life. Um, in the middle of the night, Jesus was betrayed by one of his best friends. He was arrested by an angry mob who was sent by the religious leaders. Uh, he is interrogated through the night, slapped around, uh, had accusations thrown at him. And then his, his followers have all abandoned him, denied knowing him. Now at the crack of dawn, the Jewish leaders take Jesus and hand him over to Pontius Pilate to be tried and executed. So Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. So pick it up in verse 28. Open your Bibles and, and just have a look at um, what it's saying there. So this is chapter 18, verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By this time, it was early morning, so around six o'clock in the morning. To avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews didn't enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Right? Going into the home of a Gentile uh, would, would have um, defiled them and excluded them from the important Passover festival uh, that was on. So Pilate comes out to them. Uh, as part of the crowd. Now, who is Pontius Pilate? Well, we know very little about Pontius Pilate outside of the Bible. I couldn't even show you a statue or anything of him because there is none. Uh, we don't know what he looks like. So this is just an anonymous Roman prefect from behind because uh, I couldn't show you his face. No idea what he looked like. Um, so he was a Roman, historically speaking, he was a nobody. And he had a, you know, a, a relative position of prominence, uh, a Roman prefect sent to govern the province of Judea. But in the Roman Empire, Judea was a small, insignificant backwater. Uh, he was appointed in 26 AD, and his job was to keep the peace. Um, his job was to make sure there was no rebellion amongst the Jews no kind of uprising against Roman rule. Um, so there was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. He only lasted in the role 11 years. In 37 AD, he was called to Rome to give an account for his cruelty towards the Jews, and he was never heard of again. Uh, so in his day, he had a reputation for being cruel, uh, see what Philo, the ancient philosopher, says about him. Naturally inflexible, a blend of self-will and relentlessness. Unpleasant, unremarkable, unmemorable. Except for a six-hour period, one, one morning in 33 AD, where he meets Jesus. And over the course of those few hours... Pontius Pilate will have to make a verdict about this 
Jewish man claiming to be a king. And Pontius Pilate, the unmemorable, unpleasant man from the backwater, he will be remembered forever for what he did during that six-hour period. Uh, so much so that when we say our creeds, Christians throughout the world, you know, when we say the creed, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And a lot of Christians every week will say that creed uh, and remember forever that it was Pontius Pilate who signed, the, uh, who, who signed his execution uh, and had him crucified. The trial before Pontius Pilate has seven scenes, <clears throat> kind of alternates um, between outside the palace with the Jewish leaders, inside the palace where it's often just Pilate and Jesus, back to outside, inside and so on. Outside, the Jewish leaders are insistent, vocal, they become increasingly vehement, uh, it becomes more and more as a, an angry mob just shouting. A, a very powerful political lobby group have landed on Pilate's doorstep and are demanding a crucifixion. But inside, when it's just Jesus and Pilate, there are times when it is incredibly calm, uh, so much so that sometimes Jesus is completely silent. Um, but... Even in, in the midst of that, uh, there is great abuse that is done to him. So let me take it one scene at a time, and then I'll draw some reflections together right at the end. Scene one, we are outside, uh, and Jesus is brought to Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with it. This is a, like a religious squabble amongst the Jews. Uh, he, he doesn't feel like he needs to kind of enter into it at all. Verse 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Like it's six o'clock in the morning, guys. Sort this out yourselves. But the Jewish leaders, they are a powerful lobby group. Um, and if he gets offside with them, it upsets the peace. Uh, there could be you know, uprising and so on. Um, and the Jewish leaders insist that there is something going on here. Here is someone who's claiming to be a king, a rival to Caesar. Uh, and so they, they kind of trigger uh, Pontius Pilate to try him, to actually have a trial. So scene two, inside the palace, verse 33, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now that's the key question of this trial. That's what's on st at stake. That's the key question of the whole of John's gospel. In fact, as I said earlier, that's the most important question any of us will ever have to answer. And each of us has to make a verdict about that. We can't outsource it. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he God's king? Now, there's a brief exchange between Jesus and Pilate, but verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus is saying, yes, I'm a king, but not, not the kind of king, not the kind of military, political king you might expect. And he's obviously not a political, military threat to Rome. 
And, and I think Pilate works that out very quickly. That even though, even if this guy has some sort of uh, Jewish aspirations of kingship, he's not a military political threat to the Roman Empire. Verse 37, Pilate says, You are a king then. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And it's kind of like a challenge to Pilate. And at this point, you realise it's not just Jesus who's on trial, but there's a sense to which Pilate is on trial. How will he respond to the truth? What side are you on, Pilate? And I reckon here is Pilate's moment. Here is the moment where he can seriously engage with the truth where he can dig in and work out what is going on here. And look at his reply, verse 38, what is truth? Now, in some contexts, that could be a profound, deep, searching question, but that's not how Pilate makes the comment, is it? It's a dismissive answer. Um, What is truth? And it's kind of like with that, he turns his back on Jesus And I think he turns his back on any genuine attempt to find out the truth uh, and to seek real justice. Scene three, Pilate steps outside. He says to the Jewish leaders, I find no basis for a charge against him, verse 38. He may claim to be king, but he's not a threat to Rome, not seriously. Um, And so Pilate says, I'll release one prisoner to you. How about I release Jesus? It's your Passover festival. I'll free one prisoner to you. How about I release Jesus? And the Jewish crowd shout back in verse 40, No, not Jesus. Give us Barabbas. And notice what John says. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising or an insurrection. Barabbas was a terrorist. And so here you've got the irony, isn't it? The irony where the Jews are saying Jesus is a threat to Rome and Pilate's thinking he's no threat to Rome. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'll hand back Jesus. And they say, no, no, hand back Barabbas. Hand back the guy who genuinely has been part of an uprising against Rome, but crucify Jesus. Scene four. Pilate goes back inside and has Jesus flogged. They dress Jesus up as a mock king, a purple robe, a crown of thorns pressed into his skull, the blood dripping down. They slap him. They ridicule him. And you've got to remember, this is mid-trial. There's no judgment being come to yet, but they're already not only interrogating, but torturing the accused. Then Pilate takes him outside, scene 5, verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. I think what Pilate's doing is he's showing the crowd, the Jewish leaders, just how ridiculous this is. 
you want this man executed because he's a rival king to Caesar, but how pathetic does he look? You know, with the blood dripping down his skull and this, this mock robe and the crown of thorns. Uh, do you really think that I have to execute this guy as a rival to Caesar? But the Jewish leaders shout, crucify, crucify. No discussion, no debate. They are just an angry, insistent mob. Verse 7, the religious leaders say, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. See, notice at first, Pilate didn't care. He had no concern, complete apathy regarding Jesus. But now he's scared because he's realised he's waded into something that might actually be a whole lot bigger than he ever imagined. Could it be that this man, Jesus, really was somehow the son of God? Is there, is there something spiritual or divine that he had kind of entered into? And at this point, Pilate goes back inside and almost pleads with Jesus. Verse 9, where do you come from? Do you, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realise I have power either to free you or crucify you? It's in Pilate's power, the verdict. Now, Jesus hasn't said anything since scene two. Uh, and so Jesus has been silent most of this time. But now he replies, verse 11, you wouldn't have any power over me if it were not given to you from above. That is, your power has been given to you by God. And Jesus goes on, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. I think what he's saying is the Jewish leaders were more guilty than Pilate. The Jewish leaders knew lots about Jesus. They had all the Old Testament prophecies. They'd seen all his miracles. They should have come to the conclusion that he genuinely was the son of God. And so for them to conspire so underhandedly to hand Jesus over, that is, they were extremely guilty. But Pilate is guilty too. Because as Pilate said, it's my decision whether I free you or execute you, no one else's. Uh, and so with this, Pilate steps outside for the final verdict. He is now determined to let Jesus go. Did you notice that? He wants to set Jesus free, but he lacks the courage. Uh, and the Jewish crowd, they want blood. They threaten Pilate. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, I just want you to see the irony. Here are the Jewish religious leaders. They hate Caesar. They don't want to have anything to do with the Romans. And yet they're, appear, they're saying, if you let this man Jesus go, you are no friend of Caesar. And what they're doing is they're not speaking from the heart about what concerns them. They're, actually, they're doing the political manipulation of Pilate. 
Pilate, Caesar is Pilate's boss, right? Caesar is the one who Pilate has to give an account. And the Jewish religious leaders are saying, if you let this man go, Caesar will hear of it and you'll be in big trouble, Pontius. And then they shout, crucify, crucify, crucify. So verse 16, finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified against his instincts, uh, against what he wanted to do. And it's a devastating miscarriage of justice. Now, I want to make a few reflections. Uh, And so I've got um, three reflections that I just want to draw out. The first reflection is about God. Where is God in all of this? Jesus himself is largely silent, just as the prophecies in the Old Testament said, like a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is largely silent, but if Jesus is the Son of God, why doesn't God step in and do something about this? This incredible miscarriage of justice. And the answer is, God gave the, God gave the answer to that question 700 years earlier. Right? In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, God, this is 700 years before Jesus, God spoke about a king who he would send, who would lay down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Uh, and in verse 10, so I think I've got it on the screen here, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was always God's plan that his king, his own son, would come into our world and lay down his life for the sins of of us. Uh, In God's wisdom, he had planned it. Uh, And so that's why God remains silent when it feels like surely God will intervene. Acts chapter 4 puts it like this. Uh, This is the apostles after Jesus' resurrection. They prayed to God and they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. God had planned for Jesus to die long before. But all the same, Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders and others were culpable. They were guilty for what they did for their evil. And that brings me to my second reflection, and it's about leadership. We want our leaders to act with truth, integrity, and justice. Uh, I think they're three of the primary things that leaders need to uphold. Truth, what is the objective truth? Integrity, and that is a personal conviction to the truth and justice. A right outcome. Just this week, our own Prime Minister has had a massive test in his leadership, hasn't he? I don't know if you've been watching the news, but it'd be hard to not have heard of what's going on. So the Prime Minister has heard about sexual immorality 
and sexual abuse going on inside Parliament House, even inside his own political party. Um, what will he do about it? Now, there's a sense to which we've known this sort of behaviour is rife in Australian society for years and years and years, haven't we? I know personally I've been speaking out against this for decades, and that is the sexual immorality and sexual abusiveness uh, of, of our society has just been rampant and unchecked. And hallelujah, it's about time it kind of comes into the public spotlight to actually go, let's deal with these issues. Um, I don't think our society has the resources to deal with it. Uh, I think we Christians do. But anyway, that, that aside, uh, let's put this issue in the spotlight and deal with it. How will the Prime Minister respond? And I just want to say it's so important that he acts with truth, integrity and justice. We want him to listen without prejudice, with empathy. We want him to have the courage to do what is right. And it takes courage because he will have friends who are trying to influence him. He will have lobby groups that are powerful that are trying to pressure him. And he needs to have the courage to listen, but then to actually do what is right. Uh, we want him to protect the innocent. No matter how insignificant they are. And we want him to whatever extent, sorry, we want ourselves to whatever extent we can, we want to hold our Prime Minister and all our leaders to account for their truth, integrity, and justice. They are paramount for our leaders. Now, with Pilate, um, We've already heard Jesus say that Pilate was not as culpable as the religious leaders, but he was responsible all the same for making a verdict about Jesus. They knew more, but he knew enough. And we know with Pontius Pilate, he failed the basic requirements of a leader. He didn't genuinely listen. Uh, when he had the opportunity, he turned his back he didn't protect the innocent. He wanted to, but he just didn't have the courage to stand up against the crowd and perhaps to invite the wrath of Caesar. And instead, he caved into a vocal lobby group he didn't even like. Uh, and he condemned an innocent man over a six-hour period. And it brings me to my final reflection, and it's this question, what will you do with Jesus? Um, I want to I call on you to do what Pilate failed to do. Will you honestly seek the truth about Jesus? Um, that's what I want to call on you to do, but that's what we want to call our community uh, our neighbours, our family and friends, to honestly seek the truth about Jesus. I put up these stats at the beginning. 
And I want to say, even being here today means you're not, you're not one of the 29. Right? Sorry, you're not, one, you're not the one in 29, right? You've heard at least a little about Jesus. Um, will you genuinely seek and find out more? Now, I, I just want to say, if you've come along with a friend here today, if you don't know much about Jesus, we run a, a series called Life, and it starts in just a few weeks' time after Easter. Over six weeks, you can sit down and look at one of the ancient biographies of Jesus' life, think about the historical uh, credibility of those documents, and make an informed decision for yourself to genuinely seek to find out the truth. Because as I said earlier, you can't outsource it. You can't say, well, I'm going to just take someone else's opinion. You have to make your own decision about who Jesus is. Um, and if you do know Jesus is the king, right, if you know a significant amount, uh, then, and you know that he's the king, then surely you want to worship him and give your life to him. The soldiers worshipped Jesus but it was all pretend, wasn't it? Uh, they did a mock worship of Jesus. And let's not ever fall into that uh, pattern. Like, I know we're not going to mock Jesus in that same way, but let's not mock Jesus in our half-hearted response. Let's not be some of these slightly or somewhat impacted by Jesus. Right? Make him, if he is the king who died for you, Make him the Lord of your life. A life of undivided loyalty and worship to him. He deserves nothing less. And what I want to do is finish um, by telling you about a, an old Christian song. And it's called, What Will You Do With Jesus? Um, does anyone know this song? Yeah, a few of us, right? All the, all the oldies of us. Sorry, I'm not having a go at you guys. But... Uh, uh, all the old, over 50s at least, right? Okay, here we go. Um, Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken, what meaneth the sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? Uh, and then the chorus. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me. Uh, the, the, the song captures the irony of Jesus' trial. That is, Pilate may have been standing in judgment on Jesus. Uh, he had nothing against Jesus, but he couldn't remain neutral. He was forced to make a decision. And each one of us has to do the same. You can't just start sit on the fence about Jesus. What will you do about Jesus? And the Bible says one day the roles are going to be reversed. So one day, just as Pilate stood in judgment on Jesus, one day Jesus will stand in judgment on Pilate. But it's the same with us. Uh, we make our verdict about Jesus now, but one day he will make his judgment on us when we stand before him on the final day. And so the song goes on, Will you evade him? As Pilate tried, or will you choose him, whatever betide? 
Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? And the song concludes with a recommitment. Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way. Gladly obeying thee, will you say, this will I do with Jesus? Let me, um, let me lead us in prayer. God, our Father, we do want to be people of truth, integrity, and justice. Uh, these are things we want for our leaders, but these are things we want in our own lives. We're sorry when we lie, when we deceive. We're sorry when we are apathetic, where we fail to listen. We're sorry when we lack the courage to do what we know is right. And we are sorry when we have treated you and your son when we have not treated you with the honour that you deserve. Thank you that Jesus is the King who suffered and died and bore our shame and our guilt. Thank you for his courage, that he kept his integrity, that he obeyed you to the end. And out of love, he endured the false accusations and the shame so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be welcomed into your kingdom, uh, to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Father, there are some who are here who are not sure about the truth, who are wavering or uncertain. You promise that those who seek will find. And please help each one of us to genuinely seek and so reveal the truth about your son to us. Soften our hearts to hear and believe. And for all of us who do know Jesus as King, help us to worship him in truth, not half-hearted, not mock worship, but wholehearted, joyful, willing service for the King who died for us and now reigns at your right hand. Give us the courage to stand for him, to testify of our love and our allegiance to him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.